You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to Two Chunks and a Hunk. Movie musings for mostly everybody. Chunks and a hunk. My name is Jordan Wonders, and this week I'm your chunk. I'm Doge, and I'm not sure I agree with you 100% on your police work there, chunk. <laughs> I'm Carter, and well, for hunk's sake, he's fleeing the interview. He's fleeing the interview. <laughs> I can't these tell accents. you how many times I have to switch mine because Doge. Were you going to take that one? Yeah, 100. That's fine. Oof. It's a real, but you get to be the Hunk Fargo situation. That's true. Why are, you, why are you that? So technically, I am the surrogate of Hunkdom for a friend of ours named Vince Kelly, mm. who dropped, uh, dropped into my world, much like the singers themselves drop <laughs> in the experiment. But there's something called Blob Opera. It's the uh, best. That is a it is, uh, absolute it is so wonderful. Worth a look up. I just intro never has something happened so quickly and then someone deemed hunk. Like this was a shoe in, I guess. Uh and it could be because the rest of our week <laughs> has not been as eventful as Blob Opera, but it takes a lot to beat Blob Opera. It's literally just four blobs that you kind of click and drag and do different vowel sounds and they sing and harmonize together. Um how much time, if we didn't have to record an episode right now, how much time do you think you would have spent in your initial uh, recording with Blob Opera? Realistically, 45 minutes. Yeah, 45 minutes hour, easy. An hour for sure. It's so fun, and it's so simple, and it's so incredibly easy to pick up. But Blob Opera, Doge has made some promises that I won't say out loud and have them recorded forever because I don't want to let anybody down. I believe in him. Uh, but there's some Blob Opera-specific uh, promises here that, that maybe— come in the future. But everyone listening, please go check Stage out. Stage tour. Blob <laughs> Opera. Thank you, Vince Kelly. Uh, it's a blast. It's Yeah, best. it's amazing. It's really, really great. It really is the greatest. Hey, 
There's other things that are the greatest. Um, one of those is uh, whenever we get to just sort of curate a list of movies that we want to watch, and this time we're doing that with our Chooser's Choice V2.0 series, where this time we're each bringing an actor of our choosing, and Carter chose this week, which is why we're watching a movie known as Fargo. Fargo. And... Uh, Carter's bringing that one uh, to us courtesy of Francis McDormand. Dude, I love when Fargo plays Harley Quinn. That's so good. <laughs> She's really good at it. That's Fargo Frobby. Fargo Frobby. Fargo Frobby. Um, and I want to get into uh, that choice in just a second. But when before, she's when she's like, okay. I'm cra- I'm crazy, and I love the Joker. <laughs> it's so good. The Froger. I'm crazy with that part. That part where she's like. Oh, yeah, we're all a little messed up in the head, I think. But uh, Mr. J and I, ah, oh, man, real good. <laughs> How she has a baseball bat. Dude, so good. Such a good movie. I love Suicide Squad. <sighs> Dude, it was hard to say Mr. J in the Minnesota. Like, I wanted to be like, and Mr. Not say Mr. J. Yeah, yeah. And so I think somewhere in there, I was like, oh, yeah, real nice. Mr. J. <laughs> <laughs> um,. <laughs> But as I was saying uh, before, uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about that Francis McDormand choice. But before we get to do that, I do need a synopsis of the movie Fargo from my good friend Doge. Well, my friend, you're far going to get one. Oh! <laughs> this week's IMDb synopsis is Did written by— Did you just come by... up with that? Yeah, yeah. I Googled Dang. it, actually. <laughs> Sorry. I can't take credit. Far Googled. This, this week's synopsis is written by IMDb user— Tad Dibburn. <laughs> this does sound like a name from Fargo, does it not? It does. Tad Dibburn writes, Jerry Lundegaard is in a financial jam and out of desperation, comes up with a plan to hire someone to kidnap his wife and demand ransom from her wealthy father to be secretly split between Jerry and the perpetrators. Jerry, who is not the most astute of individuals, hires a couple of real losers from the frozen northern reaches of Fargo, North Dakota for the job. Then, things begin to slip from bad to worse as Jerry helplessly watches on. Oh, nice. Okay, that's it. Yeah, no, it feels like they, it feels like they watched the first 30 minutes and were like, I think I can see where I this is going. It. Let me I go ahead and write it. this one real quick before we introduce <laughs> our main character. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of introducing our main character, what I'd love to do is uh, ask Carter the big question, which is, why Francis McDormand? Um, why Francis McDormand? I'll tell Frankie you Mac. Frankie Mac. This is when you can put in like the background music, the blah blah blah. Francis McDormand seems, with the roles that she plays, there's a certain ease to the role. She is just so capable. There's yes. something about her. It's just kind of subtle. I think part of it was maybe I just needed more time with her is one of the reasons that I picked it because I I wish I could describe her to people so that they could have the interest in watching almost anything that she's done. Uh, But there's really nobody like Frances McDormand. This is uh, also, and I'll go ahead and spill the beans on what our next movie with her is because I think so much about her for me is a case study on two very similar yet very different roles that she plays. Right. So we have her uh, playing detectives in both of my movies in a way. Right, someone who's sure. trying to solve mm-hmm. yeah. murder uh, or really kidnapping, and uh, we've got Marge in this one, and then I also have her in Three Billboards. And so the difference in these movies, we've got uh, 
20 years, more than 20 years difference between these roles uh, and two very different personalities, but still some stuff that's rooted that is the same. But Frances McDormand to me um, is just casually one of the best actors in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I think casually too also pulls from just kind of who she seems to be outside of an actress. I think she's totally worth watching anytime she's won an award when she's speaking, how she talks. It really, there is something so very normal about her, yet something so very uniquely different about Frances McDormand. I don't know who to compare her to. I don't think there really is anyone. Um, And it's fun with Fargo for her because I'm also a huge Coen Brothers fan. Mm. And if if you know the Coen brothers, you would think that they had something to do with three billboards outside of Ebbing, too. Because uh, as we immediately see in Brainerd, in Fargo, in all of our places that we are uh, in the environment of this movie, the Coen brothers are also very good at normal. Very good at, like, a realism right. that is yeah. also uh, fictional. I, I don't know how to explain it. They do such a good balance. And— She's so integrated into their stories and so perfect for this. Uh, she's been in several Coen Brothers movies. Um, and sometimes you feel like, uh, I could see how someone would be like, well, it's because her husband is one of the directors and writers. Uh, it, no, that just happens to be that they're both <laughs> super talented and love each other. <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, Joel Cohen, who she's been married to since the the early 80s. Uh, yeah, she, she Frances McDormand is one of those two that doesn't feel like she ever busted on the scene. There's something yeah. about her feeling like she's always been there and has always been good. And so to see her at the age of 39 in Fargo is fun for me Yeah, uh, at this role because she seems to, you know, we talked about Denzel's control that he seems to know more than you. There's something incredibly unique about the role of Marge in somehow knowing more than you that is far less intimidating <laughs> yeah, well, than and, Coach Boone or, or you yeah. know. <clears throat> whatever, the, whatever the cousin to Mr. Magoo is, is kind of Marge. Let me explain that a little bit. So like I would say the opposite of Mr. Magoo is somebody who never misses, right? I mean, their 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 success is because they they're never missing. And it feels like Marge is successful by being normal. Yeah. Like Magoo is just happening upon success as he narrowly misses anvils and staircases and open elevator doors and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But it feels like Marge is just sort of, she's doing her police work and nobody's opposing her. I feel like a lot of times in stories like this, you get the 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 cop who wants to do it right and follow up and you get another cop who's like, just let it go, Marge. You know, like all that kind of stuff. But she just, she's just out there doing her job, being normal, yeah. doing interviews. And then just, she gets, it's like winning yeah. through competence, but normal competence, not you know, some crazy sleuth just dotting the T's and crossing the I's, you know? Well, that's what I think is so interesting about her is because it's not, I think you're right to point out, it's not like she's some crazy sleuth. Like, I don't get the impression that this is a case that only Marge could crack. Right, it's just about her being the one to solve it. It's just, I think more, it's a a crime that falls apart in just the perfect way that, oh yeah, they're going to catch on and immediately solve what's going on here. Now, Doge, it seems like this is becoming a trend for this series, but this is your first time watching Fargo, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. I've seen season one of the show. Right, uh, yeah. Show's great not, too, by the way. I had not seen the movie, but yeah, loved it. Thought it was great. I mean, love Cohen Brothers, love everybody in this. It's real fun to watch Steve Buscemi in this. Dude, I love uh, Steve Buscemi. I don't think we get enough Steve Buscemi. In this movie or just in life? 
in in this world <laughs> on planet Earth, there's not enough Steve. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, somebody else, and th- I think this is a good place to kickstart our discussion because somebody else who I don't get enough of, just in general, um, who I think really, really crushes this is William H Macy. Right? Like he's so good in this. Jerry Lindegar. I don't think I don't think that is his accent in real life. No. But he is crushing it, and he's got that sort of. Um, yeah, he was born in Miami. <laughs> yeah, so no, then. So no, probably. But he, he's he got this sort of like diminutive, um, small personality that just fits so well with accidentally getting swept up in the river of his own mistakes. Right. Yeah. Like he is just being washed away by the consequences of his own actions throughout this entire movie. And I really do feel like he's the perfect casting for Jerry. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, without William H. Macy, uh, Marge doesn't mean as much to the story. You know, because right. it's most of this movie is William H. Macy. I think he's got more screen time than she does. She doesn't even show up mm-hmm. until like minute 33. Yeah. Um, a third of the way into the, it's a 90-minute movie. Yep. It's full third, a third of the movie before we get Marge. Yep. And I, yeah, those two, um, one of my favorite things about this movie is, to to me, what I can see of like the antithesis between Jerry Lindergaard and Marge Gunderson, uh, because they still they they have very similar things at stake, like in terms of family and stuff like that. But just seeing how content she is and how genuinely happy she is, which in one of her last lines, when when we've caught the the <laughs> one of the most terrifying villains I've seen in a while, when we've caught him, and she's like, and it's a beautiful day, you know, like she's just got this viewpoint of the world. Uh, whereas, you know, Jerry is just so caught up in trying to make more money, trying to make ends meet, uh, right. just being like such a liar. And like Marge is literally carrying this, the burden, <laughs> like she's pregnant the entire movie. And I think that's obviously intentional. You know, it's like, right. yeah. And it also makes us feel more worried for her. Um, I think there's some obvious, obviously easy, like spiritual connection to the character to see that she's, about to have a baby and how charming her relationship is with the Zodiac killer, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very good. Yeah, all her scenes with her husband, they're either in bed or eating. Every single scene. Which is great. Which is no, like she, my scenes so, with my wife. Those are my two favorite places to be. <laughs> Same. I think something that's interesting about the Coens, um, and we could honestly someday probably do an entire series on the Coens. Almost they're did. just that good. But they, something that's weird about the Coens to me that I love is all of their movies, while being whatever that movie is, also seem to be like a slice of life film. Um, you know, you get, I, I don't want to go too far up our own butts here about the setting being a character, but like in all of their movies, where the movie takes place is actually important. I feel like there are so many movies where you could drop it kind of anywhere similar and it would be fine, but part of this is the Minnesota nice. Part of this is the snow. Part of this is the culture in that area. And you end up with these, I'm just thinking of multiple Cohen movies that involve somebody telling a story or talking about something that has nothing to do with anything else going on. Right. But I would never delete that from the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, everything feels so intentional. Their energy feels split between creating both extreme narratives and both very realistic worlds to put them in. Right. Almost all of the Coen Brother movies have some kind of mystery to be solved, 
It is basically cops and robbers. I mean, you think about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? True Grit is telling a story of somebody who's, you know, there's like murder. Like there's almost always some gruesome murder in movies. We've got No Country for Old Men. Raising Arizona was their first big movie. All of this is like there's chases and there's all these super movie narratives. But there's something about the cast and every single extra. They feel so thoughtful with every person they put on that screen. That makes it yeah, feel like right. a very real world. It feels Mark Twain in a way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. of, of just having these, and it's almost always humorous too in, in very dark ways. It is. Loving. I was going to say, Fargo is yeah. funny. Like It's really funny. Th- that's something, because that, it's also super gruesome. Um, I this is, I think this is my third or fourth time to watch this movie, and I never get over the wood chipper scene and just how intense that is. Oof. Um, and yet that's set to the backdrop of, like part of the humor is in, and I don't feel like it's making fun of the accent, just like, these accents interacting in very like idiosyncratic ways, like mm-hmm. very like, oh yeah, 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 like the back and forth, yeah, like it's yeah, it's the, juxt- the juxtaposition of the like the cultural hospitality, the cultural niceness of being a good mid midwestern boy or girl, right, and then the horrific action, horrible things, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it it works so well. Yeah, there's so much to be said about the image, like the metaphorical image of blood on snow. It's like, here's this very extreme event uh, or like breadcrumbs of something that has happened that is uh, painful and awful just on the backdrop of something that's just pretty plain. Just like, yeah, so cool. Now, before we move on too much further, I do have an important question for everybody here. That buffet, would you eat there? Absolutely. It made me so hungry. I want those meatballs really bad. I've done that before. I, at one point, I was like, "What had a meatball?" No, no, no. They. <laughs> what was it like, like, man? The first, hey, what was it the like? first four grabs are big portions of protein, uh-huh. and I'm like, yeah. every buff. I mean, every buffet. Like I remember, 16 year old me, like on a athletic or band trip, we stop at Golden Corral, and I have chicken fried steak and chicken fingers, and grilled chicken yeah. and a hamburger and pizza, and it's just like. Yep, yep, yep. It's a good thing. Yeah. I would crush a buffet right now. My my wife, who I love dearly, doesn't like Chinese food buffets, and I, I will love say, Chinese food buffets. I can't I can't do Chinese buffets. Ooh. Why? I, love. They, I just I can't get out of my own head enough to be like, is this a chicken or is this a robin from outside? Who cares? I don't care. Now I I could do a pizza buffet. I'll do a pizza buffet this Cici's. very second. Little cheat cheese. <laughs> now, will buffets ever come back is now the question. <laughs> will I ever eat at one again? Probably not. Maybe They're not. Dunskies. Maybe They're Dunskies. Maybe Unless They're it's over. like Luby style where it's like, give me that, give me that, give me that. You know, I could do that. What if it's a buffet delivery? <laughs> where they just the keep driving sits outside your house. house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a food truck. It's got some chafing trays inside the truck and they're just like, yeah. just come back down, get whatever you want. We'll leave when you're finished. Guys, I'm so hungry. <laughs> I would do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get hungry. Um, but, I'm, but mostly what I'm hungry for is more Fargo discussion. Um, so I think that one of the best things about this movie for me is Peter Stormare, who I believe this was his first U.S. movie. Is he the big boy? Yeah, he's the big guy. Who looks like scary Gosling. Right. <laughs> right. He is, um, so he, I don't know if you've ever heard of or played a game called Until Dawn on the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. It's a choose-your-own-adventure horror game. And he is one of the main, well, kind of main characters in that game. And the animation's uncanny. 
Um, and so it's just so weird because we played that a couple months ago and then seeing him much younger and with bright blonde hair is so startling to me. <laughs> but he is very scary. And that's something else I've noticed about Cohen movies is that they tend to have um, these like larger than life intimidating figures in them. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah. Peter Stormer's character. Um, but Fargo, I don't want to say it stands alone in this way, but Marge is more than usual a beacon of hope in a Cohen movie. Yeah, she's like pretty uncharacteristically, unquestionably good. Yeah, yeah. You know, she never falters. How do you feel that uh, that big boy Scary Goss compares to like an Anton? Not even Chigurh? close. It's not even close. No, Anton Segura is one of the. He's my Billy Rushmore. <clears throat> we feel yeah. like Javier Bardem is a lot scarier. Yes, I do. I think so. They're both. They both have. They're both super unpredictable, which is terrifying. Yeah. And really don't, don't care who you are. You don't even have time to say who you are and they could shoot you. You know, the yeah, fact that, that axe scene is pretty startling too. I mean, the axe scene and then the girl who is upside down in a car and can't do anything. And then we yeah. find out it's like Marge says a defense wound because it went through her hand into her body to yep. kill her. It's just, it's just, yeah, brutal. Probably a, a more recent example, and I use recent loosely. Uh, we just, we finished our second watch through of Breaking Bad. My second watch through Jess's first. It does remind me of Todd from Breaking Bad. Yeah. That just like completely detached from any Loose sense of morality. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our two robbers uh, do have a fun like juxtaposition. Like they, with how much Steve yes. Buscemi talks, it's such a good casting. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. To have the two of them. And then, yeah, he's like almost everything that he does until Marge gets him in the leg, you know, is like all these clean shots. Uh, he never gets blood on him from any of his own kills, except there's even one where the first one, when we get the state trooper, that like the blood goes on Bashimi. And so Bashimi, the whole Instead time, is him. just cleaning up messes, incredibly miserable, comedy of errors. Uh, and then I'm, I was trying to hold off on it, but Steve Buscemi is my super. Oh, for this oh really? Yeah, I would watch it and like I'm fine. I listen. William H Macy absolutely delivers. Loved it when he was on screen. Frankie Mac absolutely delivers. Love it when she's on screen. I would I would not miss them if they were gone, and it was only Steve Buscemi. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about him, but his relationship with uh, with the other like just everything about. The way that that character is written and acted, I think, is just so magnetic to me. Yeah. How he's described by all of the people that live in the I don't area. Know, just kind of funny looking. You know, in a general kind of way. Yeah. Just yeah. like, oh, so good. Yeah. He needs to be there. My super pump uh, uh, is, and I'm, and I'm not doing this because in the last episode, we were like, are we just going to super pump our favorite, like the actors we're bringing to the table? It's actually not Francis McDormand much uh, oh, wow. in this movie and I'm the one that brought it but it, for me it's William H. Macy it is uh, and it's funny because you know reading about like he just wanted this role so bad did you read about any of that? Right. Mm-hmm. He like had done a reading for uh, the directors for the Coen brothers and uh, had heard that they were like even beginning to film and so like he is just making his way there and saying I think you're going to make a huge mistake if this isn't me you know and, and literally wow. almost begging to have this role which I mean he fit it so well. Where on the other, oh my gosh, on the other end, you know, Francis McDormand at this time was really trying to find more roles that uh, ultimately like feel like they suit her a little bit more like her character in Three Billboards, but uh, either a killer 
or someone who's uh, in jail or something like that. She was like, I'm going to be kind of this grungy, intimidating type role. And so she gets Marge, which she was very unsure about. She's wearing this pregnancy pillow full of like bird seed. But then she realized pretty quickly in the production process, this is a gift. Like this is, this is great. Yeah. And this is very good That's for me. That's a great role. Um, I'm going to mix it up. I'm holding on to my super pump just a little bit longer. I'm going to super dump now though. Do it. Go, 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 go. Um, I am fairly certain that he is a guy who was um, revered for his acting skill. So I'm sorry if I'm offending big Harv Presnell fans. Um, but the actor that plays Wade Gustafson uh, is so, I don't care for him whatsoever. I don't <laughs> think he is. I didn't think he was funny. I didn't think he, like, I don't know. It just seemed like this weird, like, knockoff Rupert Brimley, but like, or what's his name? Yeah, no, that's right. Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley, yeah. Diabetes? Yeah, the but, diabetes uh, guy. It just seemed like they is. wanted Wilford Brimley but couldn't quite get him. And so they were just like, who's next? Who's the who's the Midwest Wilford Brimley? I don't know, man. He didn't work for me. Um, I just don't. He's he's always been one of my least favorite casting. Was decisions. there something about it in particular? Because it, it really didn't bother me at all. I mean, he it was definitely like, there's a sense of like, he kind of doesn't fit. He kind of seems detached. But there I, is a skill set to— At least I read that as intentional. Of, of like he's so wealthy and outside of their world that that you know yeah and, but, and was I'm with specific? you there but there there is a skill set I think in the art of being a curmudgeonly huff and puff like being the sort of like well I think you know like there's sort of a there's a vibe to it and he just doesn't have it for me here wow. like he's a little too um he's a little too flat and I think you really see it when he yeah. gets out of the car with Steve Buscemi on top of the parking garage. And he's just like, <laughs> he's just like, no G, no money. No yeah. G, no money. No G, no money. And it's like, dude. I feel like little, he was in a Western. A little something else, maybe. Yeah, yeah I don't know. So it just, it's, okay, so let's play this game. It's 2021. Through the power of quantum time, everybody is the same age. We're making the same movie right now, but you get to recast that role. J.K. Simmons. Nice. That's what I, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. Nice. It yeah, feels kind of obvious. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, think I just I, watched Wedding Crashers, so I actually might go with uh, Chris Walken. Oh, that's funny. Mm. Um, yeah, he's got a name that feels like that's his character name, but you're like, no, that's his. Wait, what's his real name? It's like when you see a. Yeah. You just heard a song, and be like, wait, is that the album title, or is that the song title, <laughs> or is that the artist? I've never heard of any. You know, Harv yeah. Presnell. But yeah, he had wanted to be in. Uh, he had had an opportunity to be in the Coen Brothers' first movie, like first big movie called Miller's Crossing, and uh, had missed out on that and then wanted to, uh, was happy to have another opportunity. I think it's fine, but yeah, I, I think we, I see what you're saying, especially if the Coen Brothers have used Jeff Bridges for this role essentially before, and yeah, there's no, there's no comparison. They yeah, used you're him not twice. Yeah, you Bridges' level. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dang, I love I feel Jeff it. Bridges. Let's talk about Jeff Bridges for the rest of the episode. <laughs> Is that what Bridgerton is? I haven't watched it yet, but is it all I about I have watched Jeff Bridgerton. Bridges? It is. Mm -hmm. It is all about Jeff. Yep. And Leon. Oh, nice. That <laughs> took me a second. <laughs> I was like, my mind was like, the professional? That's where I went. <laughs> That's where I went. I was like, really? That seems weird. <sighs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Uh, did y'all see who our cinematographer is here? Yes, Deacons, my dog. Big-time Coen Brothers cinematographer. They use him mm -hmm. for almost everything. He's everywhere. He also does Oh, Brother, my or Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And doesn't he also do... <laughs> I'll Oh Brother, Your Art Thou. <laughs> oh Brother, My Brother. 
And I'm standing on my desk right I now. I love it. Um, and d- doesn't he also do No Country? Yep. I think so. I just love the shots. Things. I mean, the shots of yep. like the parking lot and how weird Steve Buscemi's character parks. And it was uh, the cinematography was almost my super. Oh fun. my gosh, it's so good. He, you it's can tell so he was good. having a lot of fun with just how sheet white. Like there was no yeah. difference in some scenes between the sky and the land, mm-hmm. and he was yep. just that was a canvas. I'm sure he had a had a blast. Deacons has been everywhere. It had been in all sorts of environments, but this one had to be uniquely. I feel like it it was fun for him. He is, I think, by the time his career wraps up, I think you can make a strong argument for greatest of all time. He won an Oscar for Blade Runner. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's his most recent win. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. I think potentially not only win. There's no way that's his only win. I think it's his second. I think he won for something else before. I don't remember off the top of my head. Speaking of those Oscar wins, uh, Fargo would be nominated for quite a few things, but only get Oscars for uh, Francis McDormand, which, by the way, 1997 was a pretty weak year uh, for the really? Oscars. At least weak in terms of not not very memorable, talked about movies. Um, and then uh, they would win for screenplay, original Just screenplay. Fargo and Alf. Yeah. Sorry, Blade <laughs> Runner was his. <laughs> <Blade> <laughs> Blade Runner was his first win. His most so recent stupid. win was Best Cinematography for 1917. Which was phenomenal. Deacons! Yeah. Um, but Coen Brothers have only ever won two Oscars. They, they've had actors and cinematographers and stuff that have won in their movies. But for them— but they themselves have only won two. They have only won for uh, No Country for Old Men screenplay and this. So here's screenplay. the thing. I, I get—sometimes I get defensive about people— and, be, and I feel like, oh, they should win more. They should be more recognized. But I think it's a good thing that there's so much skill out there. Obviously, the, the Academy Awards sometimes can be um, like weird. Like the results don't really make sense. And it feels like just the, the, the Academy was watching different stuff or with different eyes than we were or whatever. But for the most part, I think it is a great thing that there is so much talent out there that somebody like Deacons can only win twice. That somebody like the Coens can only win twice. Yeah. You know, like it's not that there are other stuff. I think the flip good. side of that is probably the great injustices like Green Book winning a best picture Oscar. Right. That's what I'm you saying. I mean? Where it's like they're watching a different thing than us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, small correction. So technically it is so for No Country for Old Men, they did win directing there too. So it was directing best picture and oh. screenplay. So that was obviously nice. the most uh praised movie. And yeah. that makes it's, sense to it's me. It's my favorite one. Um, but oh, that's a top a top tenner for me. Yeah, Far- Fargo is their only other uh, Oscar win. Mm. I have never disliked a Coen Brothers movie, by the way. Nope. And uh, you, hate, you hate True Grit. I don't hate True Grit. It's not my favorite. I never said I hated True Grit. You said you didn't love it, which on the Jordan scale, that's a, a biting condemnation. If you <laughs> talk to my therapist, he would tell you that there is no middle to the Jordan scale. Thank you very much. There's only love and hate. <laughs> <laughs> You hey. should check out uh, old brother Patrick Swayze's teachings then from Donnie Darko. <laughs> he might have something to say to you. I do have the power of love. Me and Huey both have that. And the other thing Huey and I have in common is that uh, we bring news. And the news that I bring is news of shout announcements. Let's go there. <laughs> you don't need no credit card to ride this train to shout announcements. <laughs> Welcome to shout announcements. Here we go. I skipped the little uh, intro that part was this time. Calm. It feels that better, right? That it feels was better. Vivaldi's spring coming from your mouth. It'll very, never uh, happen again. So very Brainerd. 
<laughs> oh, welcome to Shout Announcements. That was Canadian. That was too Canadian. Shout. That was the mo- that was the moose from Brother Bear. <laughs> might as well, might as well be Canadian though. You know, that's true. The Great White North. Hey. Speaking of the Great White North, there's no connection here whatsoever. Look, we opened up a new tier of Patreon last week. Uh, it is the two official, two chunky tier because it costs only two more dollars than the regular Patreon tier. But listen, what you get from it is, I would call it um, irreplaceable, immaculate, perfect. It's access to a private Discord server with us and the other members of that two official, two chunky tier. We get to talk. You have unfettered access. And uh, look, we know maybe there was some confusion. We want to be very clear. Once you upgrade, and you know who I'm talking to, once you upgrade, you do have to connect your Discord to your Patreon account to take advantage of the tier that you're paying for. We want you in that Discord, so make sure you connect those two things to have access. But we're we're already uh, chit-chatting away over there uh, talking about movies and such. So make sure you jump on into that. It's a good time, and I think you will have a blast. Yeah, there's a lot that's been revealed. There's a lot of stuff that uh, you might only find out about us through the Discord. Yeah, we did have a little bit of a confession time, didn't we? We had a conf- little we bit sure of a confessional of, of movies we haven't seen. But yeah, that was tough. I think I'm going to rectify mine this weekend, by the way. Oh, nice. Um, Me too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finally watch Star Wars. <laughs> Heard a lot about it. Uh, if you want to support this podcast but don't want to pay for it, I totally get it. That's what I do. Just rate, <laughs> go and rate and review on that iTunes specifically, which would be great for us. It helps in that algorithm of uh, places like Denmark and Fargo to find out about us and download very us and listen places. to us. And if you're not subscribed, that tends to happen sometimes. I feel like sometimes with updates on my phone, it can kind of mess with... Uh, I'd have Google Play. It won't be for long. Guys, I have a big announcement. Uh, <gasps> my next phone will be, I'll be back on iPhone. You're, <gasps> na- you're going to be an Apple boy? I'll be back on Apple. I get my friends back. Yeah. I, I, it's just because I'm lonely. I think it was a perfect storm <laughs> of pandemic yeah. and having a, an Android that really, really took me to a dark place. And I'm ready to get out of it. The green texts hurt me with yep. you. Yeah. Yep. That's, what that's it, why that's I don't what text you. Yeah. That's fine. But that'll happen soon. But on iTunes, go in there, subscribe, uh, rate, review. You can listen on Spotify too, but just subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Listen, remember earlier in chat yes. when, when Jordan was like, Discord is where it's at. And you remember even earlier than that, a couple of weeks ago, where we were like, hey, the beginning of Chooser's Choice 2 is a great time to become a new or upgrading to official to Chunky member so you can get access to that Discord. Yep. Well, we're excited to finally reveal the end result of all of our well-laid plans. And and that is that uh, we're coming up on the back half of our Chooser's Choice 2 series. I got my movie, my second movie next week, Jordan's second movie the week after, and Carter's second movie the week after that. And normally you might be thinking, well, that's when the series will end. And I'm here to tell you that that's actually not the case. We have two (gasps) weeks at the end of this series devoted to a mystery actor that we actually do not know uh, who it's going to be yet. Don't know. Um, but that's where Discord comes in. Uh, we're asking all of the folks who are part of our two official, two chunky tier to hop on Discord. We'll be chatting over there for the next couple of weeks to figure out who this final actor in our series is going to be. From there, we're going to work on picking the movies. Uh, that won't be exactly the same process as picking the actor, but 
we will let you know with plenty of time to be able to weigh in on that. So hear us say this. If you are uh, either part of that Patreon tier and have not connected your Discord, or if you are on the fence saying, maybe I want to, maybe I don't want to, now's a great time to do what you have to do to hop in the Discord with us. And you can have some direct influence on content that's coming in like less than a month. <sighs> so it's a quick turnaround. Yep. But we know you. We love you. We believe that you can do it. We're proud of you. You've been doing really good at school. You're making lots of good friends. <laughs> Our, your teachers really love you. Uh, and you're great. And we can't wait to come to your hockey gr- games. Uh, fingers crossed for Harv Presnell as our next actor. Yeah, what if we get Harv? That'd be fun. No money, no Gene. <laughs> That's what they say to me at the counter at American Eagle when I'm like, can I please get these pants for free? No money, no Gene. <laughs> no money, no Gene. No Gene, no money. That's what happened. That's what I end up saying whenever I go to the store and I try to pay, but I realize I'm bottomless. <laughs> <laughs> no Gene, no money. Because money is in the Gene. It goes in the pocket. Always. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. In this, the second half of the episode, I would like to start off by speaking of my super pump, tell us now if that's okay with Please. the room. My super pump is the scene with uh, Marge and let me get his name correct with Marge and Gaier, Peter Stormare's character, yeah. in the police prowler. Um, just her talking. It's so reminiscent of Tommy Lee Jones at the end of No Country. It just like. A, a peek into the psyche of our character for a minute, where they're at emotionally with no interruption. Yeah. And just her her inability, the, and it's everything. It's writing cinematography. It's Frances McDormand. It's just, this all comes together into this just, this perfect scene. And it is so good. It's just this congealed, uh, boiled down, essence of Fargo right here in this moment where Marge is, it's not naive and it's not uh, disconnected from reality. It's just the inability to understand why everything went down the way it did. Um, And it's all summed up with, and it's a beautiful day. Like what a waste of a good day to be doing what you've been doing. Yeah. To be where you are now on this day of all days, basically. And and that day being nothing more than a nice day is enough for her to not comprehend why somebody would be this way. I don't know. It's just perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. There is so much to be said, too, about her. Like, you can even break down her saying, like, it's a beautiful day. Because much of the point and much of Deacon's point is showing you, hey, doesn't this look miserable? Right. You know, like, everything around you, the weather— 
you know, just the life of a lot of these characters just seems miserable. But but Marge, if we were to cut out all of her scenes and have them all together, it is just so simple. She's going to the buffet with her husband. Uh, you know, her and the actor that plays her husband, I can't remember his name right now. Let me look that up. John Zodiac, I think. John Zodiac. John Carroll. Mr. John Mr. Carroll Lynch. Steve Carell's friend? Yes, yes. John Carroll Lynch. So Norm and Marge, um, our two actors were asked to create some kind of backstory. That was something that they were given by the Coen brothers uh, to start to develop what their relationship was going to look like on screen. And the story they came up with was that uh, Norm and Marge fell in love while they were working together. So they were both detectives, and then they had to choose uh, because they couldn't be married and work together who was going to stay and who was going to leave. And they agreed that she was the better detective. So Norm started painting, which he's always loved. You know, and so it's like, it's so funny in our very last scene to have him be on the three-cent stamp. And it's Marge leaning into encouraging him on how good he's doing, like how yeah. well he's doing. Um, and at that point, we we really know her lens of how she views the world. And so we don't really get to say at that point, it's like, oh, I don't know, it kind of sucks. It's like, you know what? It isn't bad, you know? Because there's no conversation between the two of them about how she caught a murderer. Right. Right? It's about how he's on the three-cent stamp. And that's just, that's an excellent storytelling. That is excellent storytelling. Yeah, it's real good. Real, real good. Yeah. I think um, my super dump is kind of diluted, but that's just because I haven't been eating well. Um, no, it's just... <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, this is a short movie. And again, I just talked about how good the story is. I mean, the storytelling won an Oscar. Right. Um, I, I could have used maybe one more scene. It's not even a three beat, right? It's a two beat. Like I want to have, I want to have, uh, Jerry and Marge have at least one more scene together. I, I think right. my, my yeah. super dump is, um, I think we could have learned more, uh, or have had more, like, not just learn more about the characters, but, like, learn more about us through these characters. Like, it, this just, they felt like such good vessels for yeah. a look at the unreal and reality, like, simultaneously. And I just wish I had had more, at, at least specifically of that. Five to ten minutes more, right? It felt it feels like it's just done. And maybe that's the point. To be like, hey, this is just another day for somebody. You know? Yeah. It's it's that's here and then it's not. Also but, a little bit of Cohen thing, too. Yeah, I can for think sure. of uh, of a handful of their movies where the in, the credits start and you're like, "Whoa, oh, okay, it's over." Mm -hmm. I think that so this is one of those movies where I feel like it's tricky to super dump because I know that there's going to be somebody who's like, "No, dude, I studied this in film school, and this is why actually it's perfect, and you're <laughs> right. so wrong. You didn't no. even get this movie." But I'll I'll super dump and Carter. It's kind of related to yours in, in terms of just like let's economize our time a little bit differently. I don't know that we needed as long of a dinner date scene with Marge and Mike. the guy who's yeah yeah. That I don't was, know that we needed that long of a scene with them. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. I don't if remember. Can, let's cut. Let's not cut it completely because I'm sure there's somebody who's like, dude, I wrote my thesis on that scene. You don't understand why that's the best scene in American cinema, <laughs> right? So let's not let's let's play ball. Let's not cut it completely. Let's cut it in half. Yeah, I think that's a pretty the, common critique. For really? this movie. I think there's a yeah. lot of people that don't. Well, I, I actually love the scene. <laughs> I love that you're bringing it up too because that is a polarizing scene because I think it has been voted as one of the most meaningless, the most meaningless scene in any movie ever. Really? Like, like it has like fun little lists. It's on 
like that yeah. and articles written about it and all that kind of stuff. And then there's this camp too that says, no, Francis said that Marge needs at least some of that time to realize that Jerry is lying uh, because he doesn't seem to have the level of concern about his missing wife that this man does about the wife he has lost. And so she's like, oh, these are genuine emotions from Mike. Like these are genuine reactions. And then that's when she's like, huh? Because we really don't know why outside of she just needs to flip over that stone again, why she goes back to the dealership. Right. Like yeah. the aha moment. And so, yeah, I think that I see both sides, but I also do see that it would have taken commentary, I think, to— Sure. Yeah, or somebody to push their glasses up and say, well, actually, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, it could so have let's, been less. So let's not cut it then. Let's just cut it in half. Yeah. And then we can use that I, extra time for another meeting between uh, William H. Macy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I like that. I like that as a as a, a trade. Well, and I feel like maybe even because being a, a, a dum-dum sometimes, I think I even maybe needed a little hand-holding as to the path that Marge took to get to, I need to go interview Jerry again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see if maybe the revelation that Mike had been lying about this woman being his wife and that he was um, having some some issues could have been like, I don't know. It sounds dumb to be like, oh yeah, people can lie, but like we can lampshade that a little bit more, right? Yeah, if if we could get a little more oomph in that direction, I think that's it would why. Be let's add some. Let's add some voiceover narration where she's like, and that was the moment I realized. Yeah. That he might have been lying to me, so I decided to head back to the dealership. I think and he might I'll have let been running see, from the interview. I'll let you see what happened next. Francis is so good at this accent, and it's like, yeah, okay, cool. She won. She's she was awarded for that among many things about this role. Uh, but I had looked up a bit of her biography, and both her parents are from Canada. Oh. That would be why. So we've got Ontario and Nova Scotia, and so. I'm sure she might have grown up with a little bit of that, and it was not too tough for her. But isn't there so, there's such a unique charm about not just Marge? I think that's supposed to be there, but Frances McDormand. I think if she did not have Marge in this role in her career, she's very intimidating to me. Like oh like, yeah. yeah, like as a person, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I'm already pretty intimidated if I meet her, much like I would with any actor or actress. Sure. But there's something about Marge to know that like, hey, that's genuinely there, right? She's happily married to Joel now for, you know, four decades. You know, you kind of have to like remind yourself like, no, she's a good person. It, it's like, it would yeah. be tough to, who's someone who consistently plays scary characters? Willem got, Dafoe. Yeah, Dafoe. Yeah, I'm like, Wait. Oh, and The Florida Project. For Willem Dafoe softened him a lot for me the first time I watched that. Yeah, I never saw that. Oh, it's but really yeah, good. This was very softening, and it's funny that it's early in her career because I think what we end up knowing her to be as an actress is very much the role that she will play uh, in in her next movie. That sure, we'll, we'll be talking about. Hey, it's like we can talk about that. It's like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Bubble Boy, right? Yeah. Like sort of this weird October sky. Over the top goofy movie with a goofy character and a goofy cast, and the same guy goes on to play uh, some other stuff that's not maybe that so much. Well, it's like Denzel Washington, how he's hilarious in Remember the Titans. He's like this <laughs> wild and crazy, off the wall, a goofy, goofy boy, but then gets very serious <laughs> later on. Yeah, it's just like that, dude. Holy, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like that. I was just thinking that same thing. Yeah. All his football jokes really got me. 
Dude, they slayed me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Coens and their use of, um, I don't know what to call it. Not regional dialect, but like regional conversations. Like I was going to try to derail you and say cameras. But yeah, the way they use cameras. How annoying that would be. The way they use cameras and writing words to make something that we record and watch later. I think that's really great. No, I'm thinking specifically like, um, uh, like comparing like in no country the the convenience store or the gas station guy with the the lucky coin where the yeah the, you know um so it's that and then in here it's like when Marge is interviewing people or when they're at the buffet I don't know it's just the way people talk is so important to the Co- the Coens like the way the way conversation happens plays so much into location and characterizing and I, it's, yeah. it's a uniquely I think it's, Cohen I mean, thing to me they use accent and dialect so well to flesh out the the world like outside the edges of the frame of the camera right mm-hmm. yeah right well and it's it's almost something so uh, we can have conversations all day about tarantino hack versus not or whatever but something that i love about tarantino is how dialogue heavy his movies are yeah um and uh, this one, especially Fargo, is very dialogue heavy. Um, yeah. And it feels like almost Tarantino-esque the way that conversations about nothing still matter to the viewer because it's fleshing out the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's things like uh, one of my favorite scenes is Steve Buscemi in the car um, when he's just saying like, four hours, you don't say anything. Yeah, I'm driving, I'm up, I'm driving, I'm doing all of it. I'm trying to get us there safely. The least you could do is hold a conversation with me. And all, I mean, that doesn't matter. You know, that scene could not be there and we would still get the same movie. But it's so important to me that we see that because it's this use of conversation to, exactly what you said, Josh, flesh out the outer edges, what we can't see on screen. And I just think that's so good when that is done well. Like it adds so much to a movie. And I think yeah. there are people that yeah. like Wes Anderson does a great job of that too. Um, but there, I think another player in the Steve Buscemi car conversation, you know, talking about how those conversations are important to the Coens. There is also uh, you're kind of taught to be aware of what's going on around those conversations because there's a there's a right. lady they just kidnapped in the back seat of that car, right? And his concern is not about that they have kidnapped a woman and taken her from her home. It's it's like that he just is it's the silence is so awkward just say something right and we realize how much his buddy loves silence because he's willing to kill to shut you up you know and it's right. like how has he not killed you know he eventually puts an axe to his head <laughs> which I guess we had a, I guess we had foreshadowing with Paul Bunyan um, but yeah <laughs> it's just it's good my my super pump was almost just uh, the subtlety of just like noise. In one of our last scenes of just hearing, can, can you imagine? And this was the first time Doge saw Fargo. Did you know about the wood chipper before you saw it? Oh, I didn't. Ta- no. walk, walk me through that scene for you. Yeah, what are you doing when you hear this? Like, I th- I didn't know what it was. I was like, right. What's going on? Which, I mean, I, I felt like it was. Uh, it did a really good job of of placing me in Marge's shoes. Of like, what's happening? Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just such a shock factor. And yeah. What a what a wild character. Ugh. Hey. Cuz yeah. Well, I was going to say I, to me that's an iconic 
scene, but and I think I actually knew about it before I watched it for the first time because I had heard people just, you know, like we talk about cultural osmosis. But something else, the I'm gonna go ahead and real quick, I don't think I've ever done this before, but the the cover art, the you know, the poster for Fargo that is the needlepoint person face down, it's the guy from the car accident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just speaking of icons, that might be the best movie poster I've ever seen. Hmm. It's really yeah. good. It's very much memorable. It it, it might be. I'll, I'll speak a little less broad stroke. It's my favorite. I think. Yeah. It's really good. I like it a lot. Doge is looking. Our resident design guy's taking a peek. No, it looks great. I mean, <laughs> what are you? It's awesome. It's a really iconic, great design. I just. I never. I never really think about. I mean, outside of like a DVD box cover, this stuff doesn't matter that much anymore. You know, I'm not looking at a lot of print advertisement for movies, but. This is just so good and sets the tone so well. I don't know. I, I love looking at the the Fargo art. I think it's great and pretty unique. Yeah. We've talked before on the show about how Jess recognizes actors from the wackiest, wildest points in their career. Yes. Oh, I think the I know example, what's about to happen. The example that I bring up frequently is that when we went to see Spider-Man mm-hmm. Homecoming and the Vulture's on screen, she goes, oh my goodness, that's Jack Frost. Hey, can I <laughs> guess? Can I take a guess? Sure. I have one too. It was Steve Buscemi, Spy Kids 2. No, but she did say it's weird to see him in a serious role. <laughs> well, yeah. Did Carter, she, what's your guess? Did she recognize the Reba actress? Yes. Okay. She was like, wait, <laughs> that's the girl from Reba. She's <laughs> like, I'm going to have to take your word for it, I guess. <laughs> what? One of, the call, one of the call girls is, yeah. is uh, the neighbor of Reba McIntyre in Reba. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I got that. Dude, she also in Young Sheldon, so... And Last Man Standing, all my favorite shows. (laughs) Every single one of my favorite shows. The single most bizarre sitcom experience of my life was an episode of Young Sheldon. I cannot figure that show out. (laughs) You watched it on purpose? No. No, it was one of those things where you're at... uh, uh, I was at my grandparents' in-law's house... And it was Christmas afternoon, and everybody over the age of 40 was asleep in their chairs. Mm-hmm. And so me and Jess are kind of sitting on the couch, uh, just watching whatever happens to be on the TV. And it was an episode of Young Sheldon, and it's tonally the most bizarre show. <laughs> I will never watch it. It made me sad. It was just it was sad <laughs> to watch it. Sad that— <laughs> People do watch it. There's better out there, guys. Love what you love, but there's better out there. Hey, it is time to rate this movie, Fargo, the one we're talking about. And we're going to do it using science, the scientific cinema scale, to be uh, specific. Uh, And it goes a little something like this. The best thing we could ever say about a movie is own it, don't lend it. Buy that poster. The next best thing, that's buy it. After that is rent it. That is followed by stream it and then forget it. And last but certainly least, The worst thing we could ever say about a movie. God hath forsaken us. I'll go first. Please. I buy the poster for Fargo. I buy that lovely knitted creative poster. There is not a movie that I can think of that is so bland and so savory at the same time. Yeah. And thoughtfully, intentionally done in that way. I think even now I'm having moments where I'm like, oh, that makes sense why she's pregnant, A, to show, like, can you believe this pregnant lady's doing all this stuff? But also she is 
what like literally brings life to the narrative, right? Which is she's literally doing in the movie and figuratively doing as we're watching it. I, I think it's wonderful. I, I, I have a hunch as to which of my two Francis movies I like her in more, uh, and I really do think it'll still end up that way. Um, but both are, are, I think it 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 shows uh, her her breadth a lot. Yeah, and I think I think it's just I think it's very good. That's fair. Um, I. Uh, am also going to buy the poster for this movie. Um, Fargo is is pretty close to perfect for me, to be honest. Um, other than that dang Harv, um, I really love everything about this movie, and especially if it is the Needlepoint poster, it's going right up on the wall, right there, right there. Right. I love this movie. Our scientific cinema scale is a fickle thing, right? I thought it was perfect. It's it's kind of hard to know the the correlation between different ratings, different movies for different folks. Um, I'm going to buy this movie. And the reason I'm not going to buy the poster is I think I'm good to wait a little bit before watching it again. You know? Um, but that doesn't mean it's worse than other movies I've bought the poster for. I don't know. The Scientific Cinema Scale, A Peek Behind the Curtain, tends to break down when I'm comparing my ratings from one movie to another. It's hard to get an objective standard of like, well, I I bought the poster for this, and this is a better movie, so I should buy this poster. You know, it's yeah. it is what it is. The scientific cinema yeah. scale returns to its chrysalis and reemerges a new butterfly every single episode. So every you never time. really it makes know. It's what's so good. Be. Every it's just like time. actual science. Uh, yeah. um, the inconsistencies of actual science, man. It's yeah. just like that. It's it's super easy to be like, hey, so you're telling me you think Revenge of the Sith is a better movie than Fargo? Did I buy the poster for Revenge of the Sith? Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> we can say the same thing about Phantom for me. You mm-hmm. love so Phantom Menace, you bought the poster. But mm, Schindler's List, not so much. I'm kidding. We haven't done <laughs> Schindler's List. I was trying to think of something that's like super acclaimed. <sighs> okay, fine. It's not perfect. Sue me. <laughs> I'm not a science science sciencer. Sciencer? I'm not same a sciencer. Video. It feels like this one's Almost over. <laughs> sure does. You know, next week we're going to be bringing uh, Doge's second Denzel Washington Oof. movie to the table. And uh, that movie is uh, Training Day. Oh, my god. Denzel goodness. Washington, Ethan Hawke. It's going to be... Who hasn't seen that movie? Doge. Oh, I haven't seen it. But I love trains. I'm so excited to see what kind of steam engines we're working with. What yeah. kind of great cabooses we've got on those tracks. Here's the thing, love Doge. Trains. I love trains. I know it. that you love monster movies. Um, Godzilla, mm-hmm. uh, Pacific Rim, King Kong. Well, I'll tell you this. King Kong got nothing on training day. Very good. Here's what I'll say. He does. He's got no idea. I'll, I'll shoot my <laughs> shot right now. Uh, incredibly esteemed actor has many roles that knock your socks off. I, I do legitimately think, hands down, this is the best Denzel that we'll get here. Yeah. This, I mean, is, it's, this is the Oscar Denzel. It's big. This is One the of statue them. Denzel. Yeah. So, just get ready, dude. Get ready. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, as we close our time together. (laughs) As we close our time together today, there's nothing that I want more than to remind you to join up that Discord. Get in on the conversation. Get in on the discourse on the Discord. Dang. Is Mm. that why it's named that? Doubt it. Um, To end today's episode... What I would like to do is for each of us to say our name and name another location we would like for the Coens to shoot in. Ooh. One they've never done before. Huh. For two chunks and a hunk, I'm Jordan. 
the Wonders one. And I would love to see the Coens take on Boston, Massachusetts. Would make me very happy. Maybe even a, a suburb like a Charlestown. So who's in that one? Is is Ben in that one? I honestly think Ben would be in that one. I really do. Yeah, I think so too. Or you know what? My Casey pre- or my my Affleck preference has flipped to Casey at this point in yeah. my life, and I think I would rather have Casey. Casey feels more Cohen Brothers than Ben does. I agree. Yes, I would take That's a Casey really Affleck, probably a Jeff Bridges, <laughs> probably um, Boston Bostonian. Can Jeff, Jeff Bridges, Bridges do a Boston accent? Hey, I'll tell you this. <laughs> Give me, give me Jeff, Casey, and Francis. I'll watch it. <laughs> let me, let me go ahead and, and and map this out real quick. It's about uh, because of the location in the Coen Brothers. It's about a hitman going after failed bank robbers who are out on parole, awaiting trial because they were supposed to rob a bank and give money to a mob boss. And the hitman is Jeff Bridges. He was sent from Texas, so he's less traceable. Boom. Now he doesn't have to do the accident. It's a perfect thing. Thank goodness. Good job. <laughs> he was sent from he was sent from the grid in Tron. That so they can't trace him because he's a digital <laughs> phantom. <laughs> I'm Doge. I was derezzed from the Tron soundtrack by Dad. I know it was. I'm Doge. And the location that I feel holds vast untapped potential is. Walmart Supercenter yes, in Mobile, yes, yes. Alabama, because I want to get some of those Salt Life boys and girls. Give me the Beach Boys, not the band, the folks. Give me the Beach folks who are all about salt, salt light, who want to live on the beach. I don't know what the movie would be about, but I think that's a really fun subculture that we need to explore with the Coens. I agree. Oh, that's so good. Uh, I'm Carter, and speaking of subcultures, let's spend a little bit more time in Mordor. <laughs> Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.